0: Thanks for listening to our podcast today. This is episode number eight of the Rise Up Mentoring Podcast. So I get back to the question. Well, Ryan, it
1: was easy for you. Because, and why? Because you're smart or because your parents were both teachers. So you obviously had an academic bent. Well, that's not true because one, I had to put myself through college because we didn't have any money. And two, no, I was not a good student. Like it kicked my butt going through school. Um, but I knew that the things I wanted to do afterwards, as I started to come into my own and think about the things I wanted to work on, was going to require me to get a college degree. So i use the word here, persevered. I mean, i struggled through it. Didn't do that well in some classes. I hate to admit this. I hope you edit this out. I failed racquetball, for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> how does somebody fail racquetball?
0: I mean, you've got to try to fail racquetball. <laughs> Rise Up Mentoring was created to help students get the advice and encouragement they need to successfully graduate and prepare for their careers and life overall. Listen to the conversations of students and successful mentors to become the best version of you. Get the helpful advice that everyone else seems to already have and that you wish someone would have shared with you. In this episode, I sat down with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton and Chloe Linz, a senior from the University of South Carolina, to get Ryan's advice on how to overcome failure and achieve success. Ryan is a graduate of Texas A&M University, and as I mentioned earlier, he currently serves as the Texas Railroad Commissioner helping to regulate the energy industry in Texas. But in between graduating college just a few years ago and now serving as the Texas Railroad Commissioner, Ryan worked for several oil and gas companies and even started a multi-million dollar company along the way. Check out my new favorite episode and let me know what you think. This is Norman Brown, your host of the Rise Up Mentoring podcast. So, Ryan, uh, we've had conversations in the past talking about what it is to fail, what it is to keep going and persevering Uh, as individuals. Many individuals have failures in their lives and they completely give up when the next step, the next effort would have probably made them successful. Have you had an experience like that that you could share with Chloe and I and the listeners today?
1: You mean have I had an experience where I failed and gave up and and the next move would have made me successful?
0: Or one of the ones after that. Okay.
1: So I was going to say, I don't know if the next one may be successful because I didn't try the next one. So I'm not, I'm not certain. Sure. I've had experiences where I tried things and failed. Mm -hmm. And one thing you have to be careful about is defining the word failure. Uh, A lot of people see failure as an image of some dejected person who never accomplished anything. And they, they dropped out of school, can't get a job. So they they identify failure as an attribute. That person is a failure. If you say instead, well, failure is simply a a step in a process. If I'm working towards some objective, some goal, it can be something short-term like, hey, I just want to do 20 push-ups, and, and to get 20 push-ups – I'm I'm going to do 10, take a break and do 10 more. Well, does that mean I failed in the middle because I didn't do 20 in a row? Or well, it depends on how I define that objective for myself. So, the reason that's important is because because I will tell you that anybody you mentioned just a minute ago that you know people have a lot of people have had failures. Well, I think anyone who's tried anything that was really worth doing would have had some failure along the way because anything worth doing challenges you. If it challenges you, you don't know exactly how to do it. And that if that's the case. You're going to find ways not to do it along the way. And so when you put that objective out there or that goal and you're tracking along and say, Ooh, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to. And Ooh, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to. And wow, that part was really embarrassing. Yeah. That's fine. Those aren't, those aren't things to be embarrassed about. They're, they're steps in a process and, Anybody who you would see on television or read about in a book that was what you would consider to be, quote, successful, has gone through stages of that exact thing. Probably the most famous example that people that I've heard people talk about in lots of different settings was Thomas Edison when he invented a light bulb. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Edison, in inventing a light bulb, had a team of inventors working for him. And it, when he finally got a working light bulb, they went and talked to him about his process, and they found out that he had actually – Tested ten thousand different designs that didn't work, and they said, "Oh my gosh, Mr. Edison, how did you deal with all of that failure?" And he said, I "Never, I never failed. I just figured out ten thousand ways not to make a light bulb." Yeah. And that's such a fantastic idea. It's I, it, I had to go through all those ten thousand iterations to get to the one successful one. Those were not what we think of as failures; they were steps in a process. So it's a very long answer to say, say failure is not a bad thing. It's an absolute important step toward whatever objective you have, if it's a really worthwhile objective.
2: For the steps in the process that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. um, like at which point would you maybe change direction? Like if you are going to define failure a certain way, like if you, if you know, if you like have one objective, and then you change your mind? Like, at which point do you change it? Like, at which point do you see that one option may lead to failure?
1: I love that. Such a great college student question. Like, (laughs) Ryan, exactly when in the playbook am I supposed to? (laughs) Maybe
2: not, like, a specific, I mean, it could be a specific example, but, like, there's always a point where you can look out and you can say, that's not going to work. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's practical. Sure.
1: So, and obviously in those cases, you would change direction, (laughs) wouldn't you? Yeah. The, The answer to that question is if you're really working on a bold objective, you don't know exactly when that's going to be. You... You look out there and you say, hmm, I want to, um, you know, let, let's use an example. I love the fitness example because it's, it kind of relates to everybody. I want to lose 40 pounds. Not I personally, but somebody wants to use four, lose 40 pounds. And they say, to do that, I'm going to try to change my diet and I'm going to try a certain type of exercise. And they go along and sure enough, man, in six months, they drop 15 pounds. They're feeling great. And they plateau there. They say, okay, well, I'm going to try to change what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to try to tweak my diet this way. Tweak their diet, nothing happens. How long do they keep trying? Do they wait a month? Do they wait two months? Um, sure enough, they tweak their diet again. They start, oh, man, the weight's not only not coming off, I'm starting to gain weight a little bit. Wait a minute, is my exercise routine slipping? Am I not pushing it as hard? Is it a dietary thing? Am I doing a, the wrong type of exercise, the wrong timelines of exercise? And no one will know that except the person in the moment who can who can. I say guess, but who who is getting the feeling that I need to try something different. I will tell you this though, uh, so I don't give you only theoretical or philosophical answers. Often, probably the biggest mistake that most of us make is we wait way too long. Humans are such creatures of habit that we will keep doing something over and over and over again until it's just absolutely brutally obvious that it's not going to work. Um, this is such a human condition that in the Declaration of Independence, the founding fathers wrote in there something to the tune of uh, all history has shown that mankind will more likely something like accept the bonds to which they are accustomed versus writing, writing the situation that they're in, as long as it's not too painful. I mean, actually wrote the Declaration of Independence and it shows you that that human condition is so powerful that we won't break our habits. So the answer to your question is sooner than you think to try a different direction.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so, so I think what you're getting at is, hey, I chose this major. I I want to be uh I want to go to school for medicine. I'm going to become a doctor one day. I don't know anything about it, what it is, but I picked it because I know they make a lot of money. And I want to become a doctor, so I'm going to pick that major. I took biology, I did all right, I took anatomy and physiology, and it kicked my behind. What do I do now? Do I take it over again? Or do I try, try, try again?
2: Or even maybe like if you are thinking about changing your major, mm-hmm. if you just decide you don't like something as mm-hmm. much as you might like something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All
1: right. So what an interesting point that you just asked yeah. Norman, that is hugely important to the whole discussion about failure and perseverance. Mm-hmm. You made a comment about why somebody wanted to study something. Well, I wanted to, you said doctor, let me use engineer because a lot of people say, Oh, I'm going to be an engineer. Why engineers make a hundred grand a year, a couple of years out of college. I want that. Yeah. That is an exceptionally difficult motivator. Long-term promise of money is usually extremely unmotivating for people. Only a very small portion of the population actually really gets motivated by money. Most people don't. So if you say, well, Ryan, you know, I was studying engineering. Why uh, would you study engineering? Because I really wanted to make a lot of money. But I got in my engineering classes and I found out that I really didn't like basic chemistry. I would say, Whoa. That's a terrible reason to get an engineering degree, yeah. and and if that's your reason, then you're going to have a very hard time persevering because no, those failures won't be steps toward a process. They're just something that you think looks good when you're bragging to your friends over a beer three years after college. That is, that's not where you want to be. Right. Now you tell me, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor? Makes a lot of money. I'll, I'll ask you the same thing. Why do you want? I want to be a doctor. Why? Because I want to save children's lives. Well, now we can have a different discussion. Yeah. You say, man, I took the first level of biology and it kicked my butt. Do you want to save children's lives? Yeah. Is there any other way you can do that without getting a degree, out getting a C in your biology class? Yeah. Maybe I pursue nursing. Maybe I want to, maybe I become a paramedic. Maybe I want to be a lifeguard. I don't care, but... You've got to figure out if your end objective is to save children's lives, then you can evaluate what are the different steps to get there. I will tell you, Chloe, that's a great point because a lot of you too, Norm, but that it's it's common to hit challenging classes because you're you're following some playbook that mom or dad puts you on because you're supposed to get this degree versus this is what I'm really passionate about doing with my life. you got to reconcile those. And that's, that can be hard for a kid in college to do. I didn't do it. I got an engineering degree because I thought it was not, by the way, to make a lot of money. It's because I thought that's what smart people got. And, I, <laughs> and so I thought I was a smart person. I should get an engineering degree. turns out I really like the subjects like mm-hmm. physics, uh, math. I just like those subjects. I like studying them or at least I like learning them. But, um, but yeah, it was a tough one for me in college as well.
0: I have a young lady in the family that I remember her specifically looking at me and saying, well, you know, you just had it easier. You know, it it came easy to you. It was never hard for you. And I don't think it was until she went to college her first semester when she came back. She was like, oh, my God, college is hard. And I remember specifically asking her, who in the world told you that it was easy? But they think there's something special about Ryan or something special about Chloe or something special about Norman. What do you say to people that think there's a group of people out there that, that were just destined for college and success?
1: Well, you asked me two questions here. You said some people think there's something special about Ryan and Chloe and Norman. Then there's people that think that there are some people just destined for college success. There is absolutely something special about Ryan and Chloe and Norman. I absolutely believe I'm a special and unique creature in God's kingdom. I expect, I think everybody else is as well. And I will tell you this, not everybody is supposed to go to college. There is absolutely a group of people that do not want to spend their time in a classroom any longer than they have to. And in fact, I was one of those. I got out of college with 3.006. So barely got a 3.0. Now obviously I've done I've been blessed. I've done okay. But that I was not the strongest in academics. And that's okay. A lot of people have fantastic careers if they find something that they're passionate about. Doesn't necessarily have to be in college. My brother's a police officer. Did eventually get a college degree but became a police officer long before that, but he is somebody who's passionate about police work. Yep. He loves public service. He loves taking care and helping people when they feel scared or they're in danger or you know, their homes have been violated. He loves that. So, you know, people need to find out what their calling is. And if that calling requires a college degree, then they're going to have – then then I think that they will, they will get through college. It is more often than not the people whose calling or whose passion doesn't require a college degree that struggle the most. So I get back to the question, well, Ryan, it was easy for you because and why because you're smart or because your parents are both teachers so you obviously had an academic bent well that's not true because one i had to put myself through college because we didn't have any money and two no i was not a good student like it kicked my butt going through school um but i knew that the things i wanted to do afterwards as i started to come into my own and think about the things i wanted to work on was going to require me to get a college degree so i didn't use the word here persevered i mean i struggled through it didn't do that well in some classes I hate to admit this. I hope you edit this out. I failed racquetball for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> how does somebody fail racquetball? I mean, you gotta try to fail racquetball. Uh, just the the diligence of school was not something that was a natural fit for me. But once again, persevered through it. I know more people who did that, graduated from college with you know decent, not great grades, but have gone on to have absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. careers because that was just another step in the process. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, like you are talking before about the motivators. Like if, you are, if your end goal is not to go to college, if your end goal is to help people and you can do that through going to college, then that's, you know, you're going to be more motivated. to go Absolutely.
0: To yeah. That's perfect. So I, I do want to add one caveat on to that because the other side of it that I was trying to pursue is I've had individuals say, well, I can't go to college because my family's not rich. You have already addressed that. Uh, I can't go to college because... Uh, white people go to college or whatever. Like, I've heard that one within the last 10 years, which I can't believe. But there are individuals that think just because of my demographic, mm-hmm. whatever attribute of demographics you want to you talk about, because of my demographic, because of where I lived, because I was on the other side of the railroad tracks, I can't do that. I, want, I would like to go to college, but I can't because I look a certain way or because I'm from a certain side of town. How do you encourage that individual? Unfortunately, some people. If you have that belief in your
1: head, hearing Ryan sit and tell you something different doesn't help. I'll say this: even hearing Norman tell you something different doesn't help, right? Because whatever got that thought into your head and allowed you to believe that, from obviously that that came from bad data, came from bad information. We know that, but whatever they got that information from, they've chosen to trust that information over what the reality is, and so to undo that probably isn't going to be reality. And it's hard to, it's hard to, I will tell you this, the statistics are today that actually you are, if you, if if you are a minority mm-hmm. and you had that, that all things being equal grades, extracurricular activities, job experience, everything else, that minorities have a greater chance of getting into university than Caucasians do because the, because we pursue diversity across the board in, in in jobs, you know, the professional world, in colleges, everything else. And so if you're trying to get into many universities, they're going to look at that as a favorable thing, right? Oh, you came from a – in Texas, what they do is they do it not based on demographics but based on geography. They want to take an even amount of students from all over the state. And so because there's a lower concentration of students that are trying to come into college from Hispanic areas – because their parents didn't go to college and don't speak English. Hispanic students have the easiest path in Texas to get into university because they don't have as much competition. Sure. So the, the, the statistics bear out that actually, um, you know, no, you've got you've got not only just as good an opportunity, you actually have better opportunity, mm-hmm. but they just don't realize it. And you want them to get that information. It's just so hard to get it in their hands.
2: I think maybe um, going along with what Norman said, it's like some of the students are who are from not as good areas and are not benefited with like the public schooling or like schools offer different classes, you know, depending on where you are. And if Mm -hmm. your school district has more money, you can maybe play volleyball at your school or you can, you know, take AP classes and not all schools offer that. So I think maybe the question is more like if, if you are a child who is in a home with less supportive parents, or if you're in a home that's districted towards a school that offers you less opportunity than somebody else's, like, how do you, I guess it's more about motivation, but you need to, I guess, I mean, you have to overcome more struggles than other people do. You know, not everyone is lucky enough to live. Like, I lived in a district with an amazing high school, and not everyone can, because that's not their fault. You know, that's luck.
1: So, look, there's a couple of hard truths about the world, right, is that we aren't all born with the same opportunities, the same resources. In fact, I'll tell you, um, I had what I believed to be the greatest advantage that any child born on the earth will have. And I, so I had an advantage over every, every child who did not have what I had, and it was I had two loving parents. Two loving parents, you cannot beat it. I don't care how much money you have, where you grew up, what high school you get to go to. If you have two parents that love you and you believe every day when you come home, my parents are going to take care of me, they love me, then you have an advantage over every kid who does not have that. And I wish every kid out there had that, but they don't, right? And I, yeah, we go, in fact, my wife and I, we work through, we were just in Africa this past summer doing mission work over there with all orphans. I mean, that's what we spend our time doing. And love nothing more than to, to to change those lives for every kid out there who doesn't have those opportunities. But unfortunately, we can't at least can't overnight. So the but then again, there's other things. You know, I, there were there are kids who have two loving parents who also whose parents had a ton of money, so they could they could send their kids to Harvard or Rice. My parents were like, "Hey, son, I hope you have a good college <laughs> experience wherever you can pay for it." So I could spend time worrying about the fact that come, some kids had advantages that I didn't have, or I can say, you know what, there was a lot, there was plenty of opportunity out there for me. Uh, both my parents, by the way, were first generation. They, they were the first people in their families to go to college. Both of them had to put themselves through college. So um, my parents had it harder than I did. My, I had it harder than my kids are going to have it. And I, I think every family wants that. They want the next generation to have it better than they did. So back to your question, you, know, you look at – I'll just use Texas because I know that the situation here. You've got you know, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, University of Texas. You've got fantastic public universities. And the number one way kids get into school there is just be in the top 10% of your class. That doesn't, that, that speaks a little bit to AP classes, but look, those, that's in my school. That's not in my district. So in that school that you just talked about where there's less number of resources, I'm competing against all those same kids to get in the top 10%. And if I'm in the top 10%, I get in. And if I get in, like I said, I think at a this year, there's going to be 10 or 11,000 students show up, like 8,000 of our top 10%. And once I get in, if, if you are from a, a, a a lower socioeconomic bracket family, certainly if you're a minority, the levels of scholarships that are available are really unbelievable. So it's, I think it's, I think the opportunities are absolutely there. I just think people don't realize them, and it's a shame that they don't pursue them. Yeah,
2: and it's different in every state
1: too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how other states work. Yeah, I don't, I don't
2: know either. I mean, I don't know about Texas. I'm not from here, but yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not that way in Maryland.
1: <laughs> I will tell you this: something about Texas. I'm very proud of. So A and M the Texas A&M, the finest academic institution on the planet. This year, Texas A&M has the largest group of female engineering students starting at the university of any college anywhere in history. So more female engineering students are starting at A&M this year than have
0: ever started at any university ever. Wow.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: I knew that at some point – We were going to get Texas A&M to find us at the institution. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. My shameless plug. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, I had one more question. Sure. Um, Because I know, I remember you speaking at um, where we work. Um, Okay. And you were talking about, like, all the teams you've been a part of. If Mm -hmm. you're in some kind of football league and you played volleyball. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering, like, how you look at individuality versus working with a team to get to success. Because, obviously, when you're a leader, you're the one leader. But... You know, on the way you're working in groups, you're not always by yourself.
1: So there's, yeah, it's a great question, Chloe, but let me, let me cast it a little differently. And I think that as people get more experience in what we think of as leadership, they understand that there's never really such a thing as one leader. Yes. On an organization chart, there is a, there's a little pyramid and someone's at the top mm-hmm. of the pyramid. We kind of think of there, the, the buck stops here, right? You hear phrases like that. But any leader really worth his or her salt says, you know, for us as a, as a group to be successful, we all have to be leaders. We all have to take responsibility. We all have to be accountable. So you, you mentioned teams. I'll use my, my football experience as a, as a, not only my my current experience. So I'm 42 years old and this January, I will go to Florida to play in the national championship flag football tournament. And now at, at pinnacle or in my, in my private, my private business experience or in public office, you know, I'm what you would think of as the leader, right? But if I step on that football field. I'm just a guy. I'm a guy out there running routes. Now, the question would be, okay, well, we got a quarterback, right? So is the quarterback then, like, we don't have really a coach, but is the quarterback, is he the unquestioned leader? Does everyone just do what he's, No. The quarterback expects, we each have a role to play. Mm-hmm. When I'm out there, I need to come back in and say, Kenny, here's what I'm seeing. Kenny's our quarterback. I'm seeing the defense respond this way when I make these moves. We see the defense, so therefore, we see these receivers come open underneath. So Kenny expects me to take responsibility, take accountability for not only making sure I catch the football when he throws it to me, but help him and the rest of the team be successful. So Kenny needs a team of leaders, not just a team of doers. When you watch the NFL, it gets even more complicated. You got offensive linemen and running backs and wide receivers and slot receivers, and tight ends. And then you got the, the defense that has a whole other group of players. And they, they the, the best teams are teams in which, yeah, there might be one guy calling the plays, but every single person on that team takes responsibility for the team's success. They take ownership of the team's success. And that's a that's different than thinking about one guy who's kind of like the puppet master who's making everybody dance. It's the one guy who's
0: getting everybody else to be the, the best versions of themselves, and that includes them being leaders. So we're coming up. A lot of the college students are going through finals right now, and they may be about to receive the first failing grade they've ever received before. Hopefully it's not in <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that they lack what it takes to be successful? I love your obvious
1: slow pitch question, Norman. <laughs> uh, a failing grade is a failing grade. In fact, you know, let's let's you let's not just talk about college or even junior high and let's talk about all the things that kids will do today. I mean, I'm sure anybody that's that's been to a you, you play what sports what was your number one sport in school? Football. Football. How about you Chloe? You play sports? Volleyball. Volleyball, okay. When we were all, you know, whatever, 13 years old and you played volleyball and we played football or you would watch a group of parents watching their 13 year olds play sports as if this was the the global championship of professional sporting events. Right. And you watch all these parents. They're all delusional about the importance of this game. And they're also delusional about the importance of the ballet and the importance of the debate program and the importance of grades People's people, people's worth is not measured by something they do when they're 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not measured by a grade on a piece of paper. Yes, parents are notoriously bad, especially our generation of parents, which, Chloe, you, you're, you're probably not old enough to have kids yet, are right? you? Uh, no. Okay. No, sir. Um, didn't want to be presumptuous, but, I mean, in our, you know, Norman and I are both in our 40s. You're 40. How old are you? 37. 37. Okay, so not yet, but, oh, man, five years apart. Anyway, Norm's got kids too. <laughs> our generation of parents are awful about it. We are absolutely awful about it. We think that the entire world result revolves around what sport the kid is playing or what grade they get, and it's it's a shame because we will warp our kids into thinking that this is really that important. Mm-hmm we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast you you look at your overall objective the things you're trying to accomplish those are oh okay hmm apparently i should have worked harder in that class hmm apparently i need to go out and maybe even find a tutor hmm i need to ask another student for help hmm i need to ask the teacher for help hmm maybe i shouldn't even be taking this class all those are acceptable things if you have a long-term objective you're working toward if you're at a point where oh my gosh i i got my first f on a term paper let's just hang it up Go get a job flipping burgers. Then your your sense of priority on school is off, mm-hmm. and it, you got to look at the whole picture. And I hate to see students, and once again, I'm as guilty as the next parents of it. But it's always easy to talk objectively when it's somebody else we're talking about. <laughs> uh, <but> yeah, <laughs> those I, other parents. Exactly. <laughs> uh, lo- love to see kids who keep all that stuff in
0: perspective. What's the one thing that each of you would like to provide as a piece of advice to a college student listening to this after? Your years of experience, you're a college senior now, right? Graduating Mm in 2018. You're probably getting like
2: a 4.0, aren't you? Not
0: a 4.0. What are you getting? Where's your GPA right now?
2: It's close. It's not there.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) People like you. (laughs) (laughs) She's almost perfect.
2: (laughs) No, not quite. Um, I guess advice for me would be um, just, like, the first thing you pick is not going to be what you end up doing. Like, there's a million things that I thought I was going to do. By this point, I haven't, and it's okay. And there's a million things that I think I might go do that I'm probably not going to do. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Everything always seems to work out as long as you just, like, if you're focused and you just know, like, the immediate next step, it's okay. I don't know. It always just kind of works so out. So what did
0: you start out wanting to do that you Oh, you I thought it was going to be an astronaut. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're talking. That's yeah,
2: interesting. We'll yeah, I don't know. Why? Why? Ryan
0: just talked about what was the motivation. Did, did the motivation change? What, what, what changed your course?
2: Um, probably just how realistic it is. Um, I don't know. It's, there's only you know, five astronauts, but if you like math and science, you can be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. So okay. lower the bar. Okay. Yeah. You <laughs> your advice is lower the bar. I'm going to go in a little different direction. My, uh, my one piece of advice, we already talked about, i to say it again, really try to focus on you know, how you want to impact the world. And people think that that's about inventing some massive piece of technology or curing some disease or you know, drilling water wells in poor areas of the world. It doesn't always have to be that demonstrative. I mean, it can be as simple as, you know what? When I go to work today and I'm, I'm a waiter or waitress in a restaurant, I want every single person I meet today to leave happier than they walked in. There, there are things we can do every day in our lives that, that have a positive impact on the world. And those are always the things that are the most satisfying. I mean, you can talk about money and cars and, uh, you know, sports and hobbies and all. having a positive relationship, having a positive impact on the world around you is what is always the most rewarding to 99% of the population. And the 1% that's not are sociopaths. Yeah. So if you start from that and you say, well, is it going to be by being an engineer or being an astronaut or being a football player or being an entrepreneur? Great. And But really, I mean, sinks. Spend time on that, and it won't come right away, especially not when you're 19 years old and you're uh, brand new in college or you're 17 and you're a year away from college. No, you're not going to figure it out, but that is okay. I'm telling you, I'm 42 years old. I've had like four different careers, and I'm still figuring it out, but that's okay because in every every time I switch gears, I come up with a new, man, this is now how I think I can have a positive impact on the world. If you're working on that, you will absolutely be happy, and that that is what really we're all after at the end of the day. That's good. Cool.
2: That just, it just reminded me of something that William, uh, told us. Um, he had did a lunch with the interns and he was like, think about what you want people to say at your funeral, which is obviously a little bit morbid, but I mean, he probably got it. Oh yeah, eulogy. I mean, yeah. But yeah, it's like, if you just think about the end, like if I think and I'm like, I want people to say that I was happy and that I made other people's happy, then, you know.
1: Yeah. No one ever says in their eulogy, man, you know, Ryan sitting made a crap load of money and drove a really nice car. Like no one one cares. Right. Exactly. It's all, did I have a positive impact on the world around me? Great way to think about it.
0: You can't take it with you, right? (laughs) Yeah. So my, my piece of advice, I've run into a lot of college students that think I have to figure out the rest of my life from the time I'm 18 or 19. And I keep trying to encourage them to really just pick something that you want to try out for two years. Right. And interns you get it's my version in my mind it's the working version of dating you get to come in for three months try it out test it out and after three months we're done catch you later it was it wasn't you it was me (laughs) and walk away from it so try different companies try different industries try different things so you can check out what you really do like because you're not going to know it looking at a piece of paper I was fortunate to have a father that was an engineer, so I went to his office and I saw the drawings and I thought this was pretty cool to be able to create uh, a building or other things from drawings. So I thought that was a very intriguing uh, career path. And I knew we had food every day, so it was a simple decision for me. But that's the one thing that a lot of folks don't have. If you're not coming from a family where individuals have gone to college and done something different or they didn't go to college and they created their own businesses and you have something to follow in their footsteps, try different things out. Test them out for a couple of years. You're not planning the rest of your life out. I I thought I had it set at 17. I had my 10 year plan and uh, 10 years later, I did not have anything on that (laughs) on that page. But I have a happy family. I have people that I think like me uh, and and a decent place to live. So I feel like I, I impact the lives of other individuals. That's part of the reason why I started this podcast is so that other individuals are able to hear these type of things and be able to imagine I might be able to do that. I thought I was going to do this, but that sounds really cool. That might be the way that I impact this world. This might be the way that I impact life. That might be aligned with the purpose that God put me here in the first place. And that's what I try to provide as a piece of advice to each other. Ryan shared the example of someone's goal being able to do 20 push-ups and asked the question that if you do 10 push-ups, take a short break, and then do another 10 push-ups, did you fail because you took a break? My answer is no. You are not a failure if you meet your goal. You simply took longer than you originally expected. My favorite point that Ryan made was that you need to have a purpose or fascination to serve as motivation to push through obstacles and challenges. Without a strong motivation like wanting to save the lives of children or inspire individuals to make their communities better or to change the world, you won't be willing to make the sacrifice when it comes to things like sleep, fun, money or popularity. Olympic greats like Simone Biles and Michael Phelps missed out on things like school dances and parties with friends because of their commitment and passion for their sports. To become great, they practice over 300 days a year. Figure out what you're willing to sacrifice for, and you'll be halfway to changing the world in your own special way. Thanks for listening to our show this week. If you want to learn more or listen to other episodes, you can go to RiseUpMentoring.com slash podcast. If you have an idea for an episode that you'd like to hear or have a suggestion for who I should interview, hit me up on Twitter at RiseUpMentors or on Facebook and Instagram at RiseUpMentoringUS. If you found this episode helpful, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing our podcast on social media or writing a review for us on iTunes or wherever you find our podcast. I'm Norman Brown, and you've been listening to the Rise Up Mentoring Podcast.